All right, well, we're going to dive into uh, our sermon this morning with some Bible trivia. Are you ready? Uh, what if I were to ask you, who is the worst person in the Bible? Like in all of Scripture, who's the very worst human that we find? Now, I don't know what your answer was. Um, my guess is that some of you uh, sort of went like crucifixion style. So uh, Pontius Pilate or Caiaphas or maybe Judas uh, who turned Jesus in so that he could be crucified. Or maybe you went Old Testament on it. Uh, maybe you went Pharaoh in Egypt uh, or Nebuchadnezzar who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace um, who was from Babylon. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who you picked. Um, my guess is that not many of you, if any of you, picked a man named Lamech. But I think that might actually be the answer because all of those other people, as far as the sort of biblical theological lineage that exists, um, all those other people, like their terribleness, grew out of Lamech, right? Here we go. Um, Lamech shows up in chapter 4 of Genesis. He is the great, 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 great grandson of Adam, okay? Adam and Eve have three sons, two, and then a third comes along named Seth a little bit later on. The first two uh, kids that they have are named Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel, as they grow up, they have a contentious relationship, and one day Cain kills Abel. It's the first murder that we read about uh, in Scripture, and we tend to see that as kind of uh, an outgrowth of the sinfulness that had taken root in all of creation and humanity uh, in, through, in and through Adam and Eve's uh, sort of activity in the garden. Uh, and so out of that, um, God comes to Cain and says, like, hey, have you seen your little brother recently? And Cain says, what am I supposed to be babysitting him or something? He's a grown man. And God says, if you listen with me well enough, you too can hear his blood crying out to us from the ground immediately Cain becomes very remorseful for this. And God does the same thing for Cain that God does for Adam and Eve, which is to send them out of the presence of God. Um, Cain is terrified of that. He says, if you send me out of your presence, like the first person that finds me is going to kill me. And God says, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, right? So there's like this, this sevenfold vengeance, uh, sevenfold power of God kind of protection, uh, hedge of protection that goes out uh, around Cain and he's marked, uh, marked with that. Then it goes into Cain's genealogy. Um, and his, Cain's great, great, great grandson's name is Lamech. And the lineage, lineage pauses at Lamech. What we see in the descendants of Cain uh, is that this uh, Cain, the city of Cain kind of gets built up uh, and there's great sort of technological advances that happen there. Uh, music and poetry are invented there. Uh, all of these wonderful things take place, but they take place at a slant because this city is seen as kind of the spinning out of control of that same sinful root, uh, same sin that took root earlier on. It's like, with every successive generation, it just spins further and further out of control. And we don't know a lot about Lamech, but we hear a song that he writes and sings about himself. And he sings this song uh, about um, a, a child, a, a young man, that he murdered for slapping him. He gets slapped, and he murders the guy in response. And then he sings a song to his multiple wives, right? 
Lamech was seen as the first person to have multiple wives. It's, it is the spinning out of controlness uh, in scripture that we see in chapter four. Uh, and Lamech's song, the second half of it says, um, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech 77 fold, because we have to speak of ourselves in the third person. I mean, I just want you to consider this for a second. Cain murdered someone, felt remorse, and God protects him with this like sevenfold protection. Lamech comes along and hiding behind that same idea of this God's protection, but compounded over the course of generations. He must be protected 77 fold. And therefore he can just willingly murder someone for no very good reason. And then write a song about it, basically glorifying vengeance and retaliation and calling it right and just hiding behind the sort of generous mercy of God that had been given uh, to Cain. That That's Lamech, right? That's Lamech. Now, then Seth gets born. Uh, in Seth's generation, uh, there becomes Noah. And Noah gets on a boat and takes the sort of seed of God's good creation across the floodwaters as God is doing the work of dealing with the Lamech problem, basically. All right, you with me? Great. I want to look at our parable today. Uh, parables are like word pictures that Jesus uses, like other rabbis of his day, um, to invite people to enter into uh, an example or an experience that was intended to like fire up our imagination and help us see something uh, that maybe we couldn't see or understand before. And uh, its intent is not just for us to, to think differently or to feel differently about something, but these par parables are intended to like in evoke in us a change and like a corresponding action in our everyday lives so that we're not just changing our minds, but it's changing uh, who we are, how we interact with others, how we live, like what our personhood looks like uh, concretely in the world around us. And this week's parable uh, comes from Matthew chapter 18, um, and it is a parable told in response to a question asked by Peter. Peter is one of Jesus's 12 disciples, his closest followers, and Peter is like one of Jesus's biggest confidants. Uh, Peter is the one who's in charge of the church when Jesus dies. He says, Peter, on you, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So uh, Peter is, uh, he's hes a good guy in scripture. Like we see him as one of the better ones, right? Um, and Peter comes to ask Jesus a question. Peter uh, asked Jesus this question. He said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? Now, this seems like a reasonable question, right? Very fair question. And Peter, I don't know if he was like trying to kiss up or be goody two shoes or what, but he basically tries to answer the question before Jesus even has the opportunity to respond. He says like, I know, I know. As many as seven times, right? Seven, it's a good whole number. It's the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. It's a, it's a good biblical number. It shows up in a lot of places. To which Jesus responds, nope. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Does this sound familiar? Uh, this is, this is, I, I mean, I can't be certain, but I feel very confident. Jesus is referencing back to this moment, a story that Peter would have definitely understood and known. The disciples would have definitely understood and known. I think that Jesus is basically saying our job as followers of Jesus 
is to be the anti-Lamech, the un-Lamech, right? It's not just that we should forgive seven times, like God forgives Cain, whole, good, perfect number, but that we should be as forgiving as Lamech was bad at distorting God's goodness. Lamech took God's forgiveness and distorted it, used it for his own well-being. I think that Jesus is saying here is that we have to be the anti-Lamech. We have to be as good at forgiving as Lamech was bad at it. Now, good news, bad news here is that Jesus follows up that statement with a parable. It's good news because I, I think it's probably something we need to hear. It's bad news because I think that this thing that Jesus just said to Peter would be uh, sort of like easy to work around, right? Oh, it was hyperbole. He didn't actually mean what he said, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Jesus follows it up with, with this parable. And uh, and then Jesus interprets his own parable. So we don't even have that much work to do today uh, other than to read it. And so read it, uh, read it, we shall. Jesus continues, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, right, with his servants, with his laborers. When he began the reckoning, the accounting, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children and all his possessions so that payment could be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him of the debt. Now, I think there's an inside joke that's taking place here before I read on. Um, I'd like to capture it quickly. Uh, saying 10,000 talents is like 150 years worth of work, right? One author I read uh, was basically saying this is the equivalent of like the national debt. It is such a comically high amount of money that one, no one should have ever been able to individually rack up that amount of debt. And two, if that person worked the entirety of their life and a life after that, they would never be able to repay this debt. And so uh, that means that when he says, have patience with me and I will pay you back, uh, that is not not true. Um, also, the idea that people might be sold into slavery because they couldn't pay their debts uh, and that that might be a way that a person would try to make back some of their money was like not uncommon, so much so that this was like a realistic thing that could have taken place, but it wasn't common enough that it probably did seem a little exotic uh, to kind of match the comical nature um, to, to Jesus' disciples. It carries on. But that same slave, right? So the same slave that was just forgiven, that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is like not even a third of a year's worth of work. This is like a car loan for a base model sedan, right? Not very much. Easily payable back. Seized him by the throat and said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him saying, what? Have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? Copy paste. But he refused and he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow slaves saw what he had done, what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? 
And then in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So, then Jesus moves to interpret here, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There it is. Now, one more interesting thing before we move on too far, and uh, I'll come back to this in a second. I want to read this uh, this line. Um, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. I want to read that as like some sort of divine eternal punishment, like a lake of fire sort of thing. But I don't, I don't actually think that's what Jesus is doing here. Um, I can't be positive, um, but it doesn't feel to me that that's kind of the one-to-one correlation Jesus is trying to make. This is actually, uh, would be like a very Roman way of handling someone's indebtedness if they couldn't or didn't want to pay, uh, would be to hand them over to be, you know, to be tortured and stuff. So um, I'll come back to that in just a second, but, um, but there you have it. I mean, Frankly, uh, again, I don't think this one needs a ton of help from me to interpret. Uh, Jesus does most of that work for for us. Um, I I do think it's interesting to remember uh, that Jesus is talking here to Peter and presumably to the disciples, right? Uh, Last week, uh, we heard a parable with a lot of challenge, just like this week, except Jesus was talking about uh, like not social climbing, you know, up the social ladder, status seeking and all that. And he was talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees. I think Jesus was likely a Pharisee, meaning a part of the the Pharisees, the sect of Pharisees. But, um, you know, we use the Pharisees in scripture oftentimes as like a foil to Jesus. So they're kind of seen as the bad guys on a pretty regular basis. And, you know, when the bad guys are getting yelled at, you're like, yeah, take that guys. Um, but, but I think, I think Jesus is talking to, I mean, he's talking to the disciples, right? The good guys. Uh, I think he's, he's talking to the church, right? He's talking to folks who, presumably would understand just how incredible God's gift of forgiveness for us is. Like the, the, the people who should understand that they have a debt that they could not pay back, a debt so immense that even with all the time in the world, like so unfathomably and comically large that we would never be able to kind of pay it back to work through it. Um, Jesus is talking to people who, who should have identified pretty easily with that first servant, right? That's who Jesus is talking to, people who have been liberated from the sinister power of evil, who know that promise, who have been you know, set free from slavery to sin and death, as we say in our communion liturgy. The challenge is that this guy, he, he didn't allow the generous nature of God's merciful movement towards him to, to change, to soften, to transform his heart. So his life couldn't reflect the sort of merciful, generous nature of God. Instead, Having been forgiven, he took that forgiveness as like a thing to hide behind while he was operating in the ways of Rome, right? So he's he's reflecting the ways of, of Lamech more so than he's reflecting the ways of his Lord. He's, uh, you know, Lamech was in the city of Cain that kind of gave birth to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, that kind of gave birth to Nebuchadnezzar uh, in the land of Babylon, that gave birth to Herod and Pilate and Caesar, you know, in the land of Rome, this servant forgiven by his Lord chooses to reflect the ways of Rome rather than the the ways of the kingdom of God. And so he gets sent out to reap what he's sown, right? To, to be punished, not underneath the, the kind of the, the movement, the ways, the order of the kingdom of God, um, but the, the ways of Rome. And that's, that's where that's where our story ends. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've spent the uh, better part of a month uh, trying to figure out how to sugarcoat this. And uh, I don't 
I haven't found a way yet. <laughs> I'll keep working on it. I've tried real hard. Um, I, I keep I keep using the phrase, but like, but what about? But what about? And and I don't know that this is who I am. Generally, I'm sure down deep in my nature, I am like I love a good loophole. That is a hundred percent true. Um, but when it comes to like doing the the deep work of forgiveness, um, you know, I always kind of but what about? things. Uh, I want to, I want to find an excuse why for me in this moment, forgiveness is not something that I should be required to do. Um, but what about this caveat? But what about this exception? Um, always searching for exceptions, uh, to, to the need to forgive, but that's, 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 I think exactly what Jesus is up against here. That's what he's pressing, pressing us into the generosity of God didn't penetrate this guy's heart. That's what I said earlier. So I've been asking myself the question. This is a, a question I'll leave to you if you'd like to ask yourself the same question this week. Um, what kind of extravagant generosity from God would it take for my heart to be reformed into a forgiving heart, whose nature and character it is to reform first or to uh, to forgive first, right? Um, I think there's also a question in here for the church, uh, not not just our church. I don't mean that. Uh, but like capital C church, like the church all all over the place, every culture, um, every age, uh, every expression, every denomination, all the people within it, seen and unseen. Um, uh, the question, I'll just read it. The question, I think, is do we reflect the same as a church? Do we reflect the same sort of audacious bravado of Lamech and the first servant? By claiming this forgiveness for ourselves and then failing to embody God's merciful generosity in concrete words and actions. Like, are we kind of lobbing bombs at other people behind the protection of this amazing grace that we read about and sing about and proclaim uh, for ourselves so often? Um, Maybe the word hypocrisy sort of creeps in there somewhere. Um, I don't know. I, I just, both personally and sort of thinking about the church corporately, I've uh, been wondering like what it would mean for us to take these words of Jesus at face value. Um, so so there it is. And I will I will leave you with that good work uh, to do in your own prayerful lives uh, this week. And uh, I pray God's blessing upon you as you wrestle with these uh, these hard words of challenge that Jesus has left for us. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fvumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, So we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else, while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says Give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.